0: Welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, Not long ago, a few years ago, um, my wife and I were at a gathering and. in that gathering. It wasn't a pastor's gathering. It was just a regular uh, gathering. We were eating lunch. We were interacting with some people that we didn't really know, and so there was some conversations that started, and uh, Beth began to speak with a woman who was there, and it was mostly small talk at first, uh, and then it kind of shifted towards uh, pastoring ministry. She, she knew that we were pastors uh, and started asking about uh, kind of that role and started asking about our church, and so Beth began to describe our church and where we were, and that we pastored Sterling Foursquare Church in Sterling, Colorado. And she was kind of curious because she had never heard of a four square church. And maybe that is your. kind of your experience as well. Um, There there seems to be in our church family a whole spectrum, those who have kind of always been Foursquare and those who are like, this is the first time I've ever even heard about it. And uh, Square One would be a great place for you to just jump in. It gives you a a lot more detail about who we are and where we're going as far as some of those processes. Um, But this lady was a little bit confused, and so Beth started kind of speaking to her about our, our church, our denomination. Uh, the idea of where the word foursquare comes from, and these four kind of main areas of Jesus's ministry that are kind of highlighted or focused, or four buckets of thought that all of those things are put into, that Jesus is the Savior, that Jesus is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit, that Jesus is the Healer, and that Jesus is the soon and coming King. We would celebrate those things, and we would say, there is no other name by which man can be saved, and so she's describing these four things and these four attributes or aspects of the way that Jesus works His salvation into us. And the lady looks at her and says, "What do you guys need four Jesus is for?" And uh, that was kind of the end of that conversation because there was not like there was not an alignment there. Uh, as to what was, uh, what was coming up. Uh, one Jesus. All right, let me just settle that. Maybe you were like, oh, wait, I hadn't thought about that. No, just one, right? There is the way, the truth, the life. It's Jesus. Um, but we're going to spend the next uh, six weeks really talking about those things. We're going to talk about uh, who Jesus is. Jesus is. And as we discover who he is, uh, maybe it's a new discovery. Maybe it is a great reminder. Um, but we're also going to uh, connect the dots to not just who He is, but what He does. What does He do? What does He continue to do? What did He do? And how does that impact our lives? Because the, the truth is, like, if we're talking about kind of those four emphasis, like, we're, we're all in need of salvation. We all need a Savior. Um, some of us may not even know it yet, but we all need a Savior, We're all in need of the person and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives if we're gonna walk into the things that God has for us. We're all in need of healing. Sometimes it's physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, and we're all to be looking forward To the return of Christ. And those of you who have lived a long time may be thinking, man, I thought he was coming when I was younger, but it seems to be much closer. Just by the passage of time, I would tell you that it is. But things do seem to be ramping up a little bit. But we're going to be looking at those things in the next several weeks. And as we uh, begin our series this morning, we're going to start talking about Jesus is the Savior. But we're going to spend two weeks on it because we're going to look at it from two different vantages. And the first one is we're going to consider today what are we saved from? Okay, because there's a number of things that we are set free from, that we are uh, redeemed from, that we are restored from. There's a lot of the from movement in our lives. But the work of salvation also should be considered through a to. What are we saved to? Right? And a good just kind of frame of reference for this as an illustration, if you're like, wait a minute, I'm not sure how to bridge this gap, right? You are saved from death. But you are saved to life. Life. Right? From death to life. Right? The, the metaphor in Scripture from darkness to. Oh, I got a couple A students over here that are tracking me. I'm sure those of you at home got all of this correct. All right, right? Death to life, darkness to light, those types of concepts. But we're going to talk about the from this morning. And we're going to start with this very, very simple truth. And it's elemental, but it's profound. Uh, We all need a Savior. You, You actually have to start there. You need a Savior. You're in need of rescue, sometimes of things that you didn't even know were holding you. Sometimes being made whole of brokenness that you didn't even realize was brokenness, you just thought everybody's experience was like that, that everybody's family, that everybody's relationship, that everybody's life looked like that because that's the only thing that you've ever known. Like there's a lot of things that we need to be saved from. And you can go really, really deep in this. Okay? So you guys could all enroll in a Bible college or a seminary. You could take theological training. You could be a theologian or an academic, and you could go deep into this pool, and you could never come out. Like You would never exhaust the study of God because of by His nature who He is. But there is also some simplicity to understanding our need and how our needs are met. And what I want to give you uh, for just a moment, I I just want to give you a simple tool. Some of you may be familiar with this. It's referred to as the Roman road. And what it is, is there's a series of verses in the book of Romans, which is really kind of like Paul's systematic theology. Um, treaties. And uh, the book of Romans kind of really outlines what it means to be lost and, and found, what it means to be uh, dead and then alive in Christ, what it means to be in bondage and set free. It's a, it's a great book that describes the overarching theological understanding of what Jesus is doing. But there's also some very simple verses that walk through. This is what it means to know that you need a Savior and how to get saved. And I want to at least arm you with that this morning before we go on. If you've got a smartphone or a tablet, you should be able to just snap a picture of this um, up on the screen. And so this is the Romans road. That would be a shorthand thing that people refer this to. If you snap a picture of this, you can refer to it later on your own. But in Romans chapter three, there's a couple verses there, verse 10 and verse 23 specifically. And this is the gist of it. No one is righteous on their own. So as good as you think that you are, you're not that good. As, as high as you would think that you would measure up to the standard of God's uh, expectation, uh, you are far below that. It's this idea that you do have a need, a very deep need to be saved because you can't save yourself. You're not actually that good. And some of us can live our lives with a little bit of pomp and arrogance, and we can think that we're pretty good. But I would just encourage you, just ask your spouse or your kids, and they'll tell you whether or not you measure up. Right? You can ask that best friend who's going to give you two barrels of truth and you're going to find out that you know what? You're just we're, we're not as good as that as we think we are. Even the things that we would do that would be perceived as others as good can be done with the wrong motives. No one is righteous on their own. And so Paul starts with that and we have to start there. And then Romans chapter 5 and in Romans chapter 6 there's a couple verses there, but it moves to this idea that sin ruins what it touches. Okay, so the first verses are just like, hey, we've all sinned, like we've all kind of fallen short. And then Paul says, hey, make no mistake, whatever sin touches dies. It's a cancer to whatever it's involved in. It mars, it ruins, it diminishes it, it it makes little of it. We've talked a lot about that. It's a huge problem. Sin ruins what it touches, And so then you get to Romans chapter 5, and particularly in verse 8, and it's going to let us know that God demonstrates his love for you and me in Christ. That as Jesus comes and deals with sin and does it with his death and resurrection, that that demonstrates God's great love for us. In fact, Paul would in a few places say this, when you were an enemy of God, When you were purposely still uh, shaking your fist at him in defiance, that he was still moving on your behalf to provide an avenue of salvation and redemption. That God loved us first and he loved us best. That's a line that Pastor Tom uses. It's one of my favorites. And then you move from there. You get to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, and verse 13. And what it lets you know is this, and this is the good news in a nutshell salvation is for anyone who wants it, salvation is for everyone. So when you are become aware of your need, you're not left in that despondent state of saying, I have fallen short and I am less than who God created me to be. There's actually a response for you and you can cry out, and you can receive salvation. In fact, it says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not might be not if you add some other stuff to it, if you, you know, pass the pretest, like none of that. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. That means that, hey, I'm not the Lord of my life anymore. I need a savior. And I believe that God raised him from the dead, that that's it. And that you will be saved. And Romans chapter 10, verse 17 gets us kind of that last little, let's wrap it up. We receive salvation by faith because it can seem too simple, can't it? It can seem too simple to say, I'm going to confess my need of a savior and I'm going to receive salvation. Don't I need to do something else? Because look at the littered brokenness in my life. Don't I need to somehow fix that? Don't I need to make reparation for that before God would consider? No, like you can't, you're already not good enough. We established that in those first verses, right? And so it's by faith. And so this is just a a resource for you to hold on to. It'd be a great way for you to kind of walk through and and just kind of study on your own. Or maybe if you're looking for a way to articulate when somebody says, what what does it mean for you to follow Christ? What does it mean for you to quote unquote be saved or have Jesus in your heart? Some of those churchy things that I hear that that don't transcribe into regular life, this would be a great tool for you. Because the, the truth is we all need a Savior. You need a Savior. I need a Savior. And we can't save ourselves. And so it begins with this idea of recognizing our need and seeing how that need ends up being met in Jesus. Now what we're going to do is we're going to move to four big bucket ideas of what Jesus saves us from. Jesus is the Savior. He's the only one who can do this. And then there's these four big kind of buckets where the things that we are rescued from, delivered from, healed from, set free from, they could all go into one of these four categories. And so if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and get those out. Lord, we ask that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you'd speak to us through your living word today. Lord, give us a humility of heart um, to be honest before you. And Lord, give us uh, a desperateness to cry out to you, the only one who can meet our needs. And let us find life and freedom in you today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so four things, and if you were kind of going through the Romans road, you would bump into these first two ideas. We're going to put them into one bucket together, but you have been saved in Christ from sin and death. So as we're looking at that Romans road and this idea that whatever sin touches, it jacks up in ruins, that you are saved from that, that the wages of sin is death and a separation and, and a consequence of living apart from God, that Jesus has reversed that, that that has been overcome in him. In Romans chapter 8 verses 1 through 4, this is right in the middle of all of those verses on the Romans road. So we looked at Romans 3, Romans 5, Romans 6, Romans 10, but in between there you bump into Romans chapter 8 verses 1 through 4, and it tells us about what Jesus has done regarding specifically sin and death. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. And so there's that, there's that change, that free from. Okay, I was uh, bound in sin and death. That was where I was residing, but I have been set free from that by what? By the work of Jesus and his spirit at work in me. And it moves on there to kind of talk a little bit about how that relates to uh, trying to live a good moral life by following the rules versus saying, I can't actually save myself and relying on Christ for that work. But one of the things that I do want to point out is that even though you have been saved from sin and death, you have also been saved from the guilt that goes with that. And it's so important for us to recognize this because many of us as believers, we've professed faith in Jesus, but we won't let our past stay in the past. Like we carry oftentimes the guilt and some of the consequent shame with that into our present and allow it to impact the way that we relate to the world around us, the decisions that we make, and the way that we interact with people. And oftentimes the way that we would even evaluate our own personhood. But in Romans chapter 8, therefore there is no condemnation. That means that the guilt that is yours because of the sin and death in your life that's very, very real, that that guilt has been removed, it no longer applies. Now, we struggle with this because we are not free from consequences, right? It doesn't say, therefore, there is now no consequence for those who are in Christ Jesus who didn't live that way or continue to don't live that way. There are very real consequences for sin. And what does sin do? It ruins everything it touches. So whenever I respond to somebody in a a, a way where I I let my pride or my uh, anger, if I uh, respond out of selfishness, any of those little things, it it ruins that interaction, doesn't it? Um, We can even be so messed up that we can't actually give a good compliment. We have to give backhanded compliments because somehow we're insecure in ourselves. There's all kinds of ways that this still kind of shows itself up. If sin becomes a part of the equation, it's going to ruin something. So there are still very real consequences that can cause us to kind of have some hiccups as to whether or not we have actually been set free. But you have been set free from the law of sin and death, and you can walk in that freedom. And the guilt that you had is no longer yours. You have been freed from condemnation. So sin and death is kind of that first big bucket where, uh, where we experience salvation, but it's not, it's not the only Uh, The only way that salvation is enacted in our lives uh, by Christ. We're going to jump to the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 61. There's going to be a lot of verses this morning. Just kind of take notes, snap pictures, uh, keep up uh, or re-listen to the message uh, later on this week. But in Isaiah chapter 61, it's a portion of scripture that starts talking about the Messiah who's going going to come. Uh, the, The suffering servant that was going to come. And it is speaking of Jesus. And part of the way that we know this is not just because of the context of Isaiah, but these verses are the verses that Jesus read of himself in the beginning chapters of Luke. As he begins his ministry, he reads these words, rolls up the scroll, and says, I'm about to do this in your face. That's my paraphrase, but that's what he intends to say when he does that. And this is what Isaiah 61, 1 and 2 says. It says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And what you have here in Isaiah chapter 61 is that one of the intended works of salvation for you to experience is that not only would you be set free from sin and death, but that you would be set free from bondage and brokenness. That you would be set free from bondage and brokenness. And that word brokenhearted is a really interesting one because it's not just like this idea of fracture or like something in my life isn't as good as it should be. Uh, the word really carries with it the idea of being uh, brokenhearted in grief and in mourning. That where, wherever in your life that you would look with lamentation, that you would be overcome by grief and shame and sorrow at what's taking place in your life, that Jesus has come to bind up that area of your life. And that word bind in the Hebrew, it means to like to tie fast or to bind fast. It would be used of if you had like a a wound and something needed to be tightly wrapped in order to be secured and held in place. It would be a word that would be used when they would secure a turban on their head before they would go and they would travel. It's that same type of language there. And what you have is that Jesus as savior wants to come and he wants to wrap up the areas of your life where you are overwhelmed by lament and grief because of the sorrow and the brokenness that is there. And he wants to bring new life into that place, that he wants to bring healing and wholeness into that place. And the other thing that you see there is this idea that he is gonna proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners freedom from the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. Now, if you look at this same passage as he reads it, as it's recorded in the book of Luke, it's going from a Hebrew to a Greek to an English translation, and it would say there that he has come to open the eyes of the blind. And as Luke is writing that, he's using it metaphorically to talk about what's taking place here spiritually, but to allude to what Jesus was going to actually do in the physical, which would be heal the blind, and give them sight. There's numerous stories in the New Testament of that. But this idea of being bound and broken, you know, some of that is something that we experience in our persons. You know, there's places in just our physical life, right, where we're bound by an addiction and we just can't seem to get past that, or we've got this habit that we can't seem to overcome, or we've got this issue of life that we can't seem to be pressing through. There's places of deep grief and and lament. There's places where we feel lost. But this also happens to us in our mental and emotional person, that this idea of bondage has to do with not just our physical, but has to do with our hearts and our minds as well. And in the Hebrew, that little turn of phrase there—release from darkness for the prisoners—we have a tendency. I don't know if you uh, have pictures in your head when you're reading Scripture, but I think of right me being stuck in like this dank, dark cell, and like the door being open. I get to go out into new life with Jesus, and it's like that's appropriate. But this idea of being released from darkness for the prisoners is not you're bound in a cell and you get early release or something like that. It really means to release those who have been oppressed by darkness. It's not, it's not just a, a, like a freedom of, from consequence of sin or from death to life, but that there, there is a way that darkness has a tendency to oppress us in our hearts and in our minds to keep us from seeing the truth of God's goodness and grace in our lives. It's the same type of language, same type of kind of picture that Paul uses in Romans chapter 1 when he says that those who have resisted God's grace and his great love and mercy, that, that have kind of gone their own way and even chased after idolatrous interests, that those people have been darkened in their heart and in their mind. It's where that idea of being blind sees, and even in kind of some of our old church songs, some of our old hymns would say that I have seen the... Light, right? Like we we understand that. And so, one of the things that Jesus comes as Savior to do is He saves us from sin and death, but He also saves us from a darkened heart and mind that cannot see the truth of who God is and what He's trying to do. He opens our eyes to the truth of God's goodness and His grace and the workings of His kingdom. And he heals our minds. There's several places in Scripture that says that we need to be renewed in our thinking, renewed in the attitude of our minds. Paul writes uh, several times about that. In First Timothy chapter 4, those who are in opposition to the work of God, he would say that they have had their conscience seared. It means that they've had like a hot wrought iron branding cauterize their mind to keep them from perceiving what is true. And so there's something about the way that Jesus comes and delivers us from this, this darkened countenance, this oppression that keeps us from the truth. And it's actually part of the salvation process, right? Because you have to come to the light, you have to see the light to respond to the goodness. Part of that, uh, that uh, darkness lifting is that aha moment where you're like, oh man, I am a sinner and I'm in trouble, right? That, that, it's, a, it's a fearful moment, but it is a clarity moment where you recognize what is true about your state and the need that you have. And Jesus has come to do that. He saves us from sin and death. He saves us from bondage and brokenness, the darkness that would oppress us. The third thing that Jesus comes to do is he comes to save us from, and this isn't technically a made-up word, but it's going to sound pretty made up, right? But he wants to save us from separateness. Separateness. And I'm using that word to indicate all of the things that would keep me apart from the Father and from the community of believers. Jesus has come, the, the, the churchy word, the doctrine word would be to reconcile. It would be reconciliation, to bring those who have been lost or left out or discarded or wayward or wandering or deliberately far off to bring them back to where they are supposed to be. In Luke chapter 19, as he is at the home of Zacchaeus, uh, a very uh, notorious tax collector with a poor reputation, who coincidentally Jesus invites him over to his house, right? We make a a lot of... We make a lot of the idea of inviting Jesus into our lives. Uh, As the King of kings and Lord of lords, he can actually just invite himself over too. He does that for Zacchaeus. He says, hey, come down out of the tree. I know you were just looking for me, and I'm coming to your house for lunch. I hope you're ready. And he shows up. He's at Zacchaeus' house, and people are not uh, really big fans of what's going on here. Because of who Zacchaeus is and his reputation and the way that people would view him, And in that interaction, you can read it for yourself in Luke chapter 19, but Jesus says something very specific, and it has to do with what he looks to bring into our lives. He says, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The lost. Those who are not where they should be. And if you look at a number of Jesus' parables... He spoke a lot in parables, and most of his parables, he would say, The kingdom of God is like, and he would give us this descriptor of what it meant to understand or engage in or experience the kingdom of God, what it looked like to prioritize the kingdom of God or to, to want to be a part of that. And oftentimes, his parable illustrated this idea right here there's a parable of the, the lost coin. A woman has 10 coins, she loses one in her house, she's frantic, she's searching everywhere for it. You can unpack so many things out of that parable, so many ways that you can apply it to your life. But most often we would look at a parable like that and we would say that we are the ones searching somehow for the kingdom of God and we've got to find it. We need to prioritize that. But she basically stops everything, puts it all aside, and looks until she finds the one. And then it says that she celebrates, invites everybody to a party at her house, and throws a barbecue in the backyard for this lost coin. And it mirrors the language that Jesus uses when he says that all of heaven rejoices when one sinner comes to salvation. It's something that you see in the parable of of, uh, the pearl of great price where something is sought and something is seen and then everything is put aside to pursue that and retrieve it. The treasure that's found in the field where the one who is seeking and found it, he goes and he loses everything in order to get that. And we would say, yes, Pastor Ben, we should prioritize the kingdom of God. We should forsake everything of this world. We should give everything up to pursue Jesus and his salvation. Sure, absolutely, certainly, that's applicable. But he did it first. He left heaven, right? Philippians 2 tells us that he emptied himself of all of his divine privilege, that he took on flesh, that he came and lived life and died a sinner's death for you. He's searching for you. He's looking for you. He's always pursuing you. The kingdom of God is like that because that is what the father heart of God is like. He sees us dead in our sin. He says, I'm going to address that because they can't do it themselves right? No one is righteous on their own. Sin messes up everything it touches. We're the ones in need, and he provides that need. Romans chapter 5, uh, one of the um, verses that we uh, would have looked at if we would have continued reading a little bit, talks about the way that we are reconciled back into the family of God. Second Corinthians chapter 5 does the same thing. It's, it's all through those letters to the church, that those who are lost, left out, marginalized, discarded, like the losers, the underdogs, like we resonate with that because that is who we are apart from Christ. That Because of his work and his pursuit of us, we can be restored and we can be brought back into right relationship. And then the last one, right? We're saved from sin and death. We're saved from bondage and brokenness and the oppressive darkness that comes with that. We're saved from separateness wandering, waywardness, whether by uh, purpose or by happenstance, but we're also saved uh, from disease. Sickness would be another way to put this, but, but disease, and dis- I, I think disease is a better word because sickness makes me feel like the runny nose that I've gotten a little bit of the cough. But disease is more indicative of what most of us end up suffering, Other, whether it's in our physical body or whether it's in our emotions or whether it's in uh, our, our mental state. If you look at the stats just for our nation of, of people who are medicated right now because of anxiety or depression, like all of those things are trending up and to the right. Like that we, we understand this probably better then would need to be explained. And in Isaiah chapter 53, as it again is talking of the suffering servant, the one who is going to be the Messiah, the Christ to come, it would be speaking of Jesus. Not only sin and death and bondage and brokenness and darkness, not only separateness, but this idea of being diseased, this idea of being infirmed. Verse 4, it says, Surely he took up our pain, And bore our suffering the way that the greek would translate that would 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 say that he took up our infirmities like our physical sicknesses and he bore our diseases it would be using it as a both physical but then mental and emotional as well covering all of that he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities the punishment that brought us peace Okay, so what was necessary for us to be brought from separateness back to closeness to the Lord, that, that, that what was required there, he produced, and by his wounds we are healed. Some of you would have, would have said, hey, Pastor, no, it's by his stripes we are healed, right? You recognize that verse from an older translation. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. So again, this idea of being apart. But each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And what it's saying there is that Jesus has provided every avenue to restore us from the things that have brought destruction in our life. The consequence of our waywardness, he's going to cover. The sin and the death that we would, that we would suffer under. Nope, I'm going to make you alive. The guilt that goes with that, no, I've paid that. The shame that comes with that, no, that's no longer yours. That there is this uh, new life that we get to celebrate and talk about next week as we look at the things that we are saved to, but these are the things that we are saved from. Spiritual, mental, emotional, physical disease and ailment. Our nation has uh, emotional and mental health problems that are being exacerbated each day. And there should be a commitment to having real conversations and encouragement and building healthy community around people. There should be a, a, a willingness and an openness to say, hey, I'm not okay right now and I need some help. Those things are all good and those are, are trending, I think, in a good direction as we look to try to figure out an answer for this as a nation. But can I tell you, Jesus is the real answer. Jesus is the answer. Because He is the one who is the Savior, not a, not a part. He is the Savior. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And He can produce all of these things in us. I want you to take a moment. I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes. And then after that, I'm going to have you stand. We'll have our worship team come back forward. But for a moment, I I want you to, to close your eyes because as we begin this series this idea of Jesus is, and as we start with just very simple, that He is Savior and He saved us from these things, we, we have to answer this question. Have you received salvation? Like it, it has to be something that you search your heart with the Holy Spirit in in this moment? And maybe even something that your darkened countenance need to be lifted from this day, and you need to recognize the need that you have. Have you received salvation? And if there's a hesitancy there, if you're you're not sure, then it's probably no. Now you could say, man, I I know that I'm saved, but I'm really having a hard time walking this out. That's different. I would say most of us would be able to say, hey, I know that Jesus has saved me from all of these things, but my life is still a mess in these areas. And that's part of the process. That's part of growing and experiencing and moving into the fullness of the things that he has done on your behalf. But very few people have I ever met have been surprisingly saved, saved and didn't know it. And so we do want to start there with every head bowed, every eye closed. If you know that you need to receive salvation today, very simply by confessing that Jesus is Lord and believing in your heart, if you know that that's something that you needed to do. So that if you ever hear that question asked again, you could say with confidence, no, yeah, I did that. If that's you, just slip your hand up. More of an acknowledgement to the Lord and less from me. Lord, you know the condition of our hearts. You know the needs that we have. Lord, you know those who are tuning in presently right now online. You know those who are going to be listening to this in the coming weeks. Lord, would you move in their hearts? Would you draw them to that place? And for each needy heart that would say, I need a Savior, would you be that for them today? And deliver them from sin and death, bondage and brokenness, separateness, and from disease. Bring them into a right relationship with you. In Jesus name. Church family, if you'd stand, worship team if you would come forward. We're going to have one other opportunity to respond this morning. Now I can tell you with great confidence that you don't need four Jesuses, but you do need Jesus. You don't need four, but you do need him. And I'd ask you to consider today, where are you in need of salvation? See, there's that place where we're born again, where Jesus comes into our heart, where we are made alive in Christ, like all of those kind of turn of phrases that say, I I once was lost, but now I'm found. And then there are places in our life that we are still wrestling with brokenness, where we're still struggling, where we know we've been set free, but we're not walking in freedom. Places where we're still struggling with a sin or a habit, places where our hearts are hard, places where we tend to wander, sometimes just out of curiosity or apathy, sometimes out of deliberate rebellion. Places where we still struggle with sickness and disease in our physical bodies and our mental and in our emotional state where there's oppression and a heaviness in our soul where do you need rescue today where do you need salvation because wherever that is Jesus can answer that need Lord we bring these to you today in just our collective gathering Lord all at different places and stages of our growth as disciples different stages of understanding different stages of maturity Some of us celebrating freedom in one area, really struggling in another. Lord, we bring all of those variables to you, all of those very real needs, and we bring them to you. Your word says that all of the things that would be heavy and burdensome to us, that we can come and we can bring them to you, Jesus. You actually invite us to do that, and that in its place that you would give us rest. Lord, would you give us rest today? Would you rescue weary souls and hearts? Help us to not just be saved from sin and death, but Lord, help us to walk in abundant life. Help us to experience your salvation today. And Lord, let us walk in secure. Let us walk secure in our salvation. Lord, knowing that you've done all the work and we just receive in faith. Lord, let us walk daily in your spiritual provision. Lord, let us walk purposefully into the promises that you have already secured on our behalf. Let's do that with confidence this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Three action steps for you. You can snap a picture of these or you can catch them online later this week. Number one, as you're going through your week, consider your area of need uh, for salvation and rescue. If you uh, have one of those, invite Jesus into that area. And then as that invitation is met, respond in faith to the work he would do in that place.